You're listening to Welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Ye. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here to discuss our October 2019 book club pick, Summer of the Big Bocce by Naomi Hirahara. So yeah, Rira, um, yesterday was Halloween. How was your um, How was your All Hallows Eve? Uh, I worked. Uh, <laughs> I worked, I did crafts with little children and, uh, they were all germy. So I had to take a lot, a lot of vitamins <laughs> and a lot of like precautionary, uh, medication after I was done. And, uh, I dressed up as Pikachu. My coworkers also dressed up as Nintendo characters. So there nice. was a theme going on. Um, yeah, Halloween is my favorite holiday because it's, you know, when I was younger, it was just kind of like, oh, it's kind of like an anime convention, but like <laughs> <laughs> you get to dress up as whatever you want. So. Every, everyone's cosplaying. Yeah, this was before I was able to go to an anime convention. So, nice. uh, so Halloween was the only time I could dress up. So I was very, very excited. <laughs> That's awesome. I did nothing. I stayed at home and actually did some work. You um, know what? That sounds way better than <laughs> than my Halloween so far. Yeah, but now it's November, so um, the unofficial start of the illegal Christmas season has started. Um, but it also means Thanksgiving's coming up. Which, Man, uh, I've been seeing Christmas stuff since August, so I'm like so <laughs> over Christmas. Christmas is my least favorite holiday. It's at the very bottom of holidays. <laughs> I don't mind Christmas. I do prefer Thanksgiving, but that's just because food and, I also don't like Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually do have a story, though, about the uh, Christmas creep. I was at the Irvine Spectrum the other day, and they already have their giant Christmas tree up. Mm-hmm. But next to the Christmas trees, they have signs apologizing for having it up so early. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> they basically wrote this big kind of an essay explaining how logistically it makes more sense to put it up now as opposed to later so that it's up and ready in time for Christmas. So really, I guess it's a logistical thing, but still. I, I guess so. But yeah. Are, are you ready for the Christmas movie season? No. <laughs> Unless they're Christmas slashers, then mm. I'm all in. You're not a Hallmark type person. No, I really, really hate it. <laughs> um, it it's really funny because I have, I have friends who have interned or worked for Hallmark. Uh-huh. And uh, one of them is like really into it. And then the other is like, I I need to leave. I need to get out. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's only like two categories for people who are like, like in relation to Hallmark and Lifetime. Yeah. I don't mind a good sappy rom-com. I don't seek them out. But I do appreciate that Hallmark has been working on um, diversifying their lineup in the recent years, which is great. Uh, But our October book club pick isn't. A Christmas story. No, and it never will be. <laughs> um, but yes, we we read a mystery novel, and uh, it's been a while since we read a mystery novel. Yeah. I think I don't know. Like our p- 
past book club picks kind of like blur together for me. <laughs> it's like, did we read this a year ago or did we read this a couple months ago? It's yeah, I'd say it's, it's really it's, hard. It's been a while since our last like detective story. The last one we read was IQ yeah. uh, by Joe Ide, and that was. I think that was January, right? That or would, December. Yeah, I think I think that was like earlier this this year or late last year. Yeah, uh, zero sum game was kind of mystery, but I don't categorize it as as mystery. Yeah, that's more like se. a spy thriller. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. Genres <laughs> genres are they don't yeah. mean anything in the end. It's it just helps us, you know, talk about tropes and yeah. whatnot. Um, anyway, we're gonna start with the summary of the book. Um, before though, our standard. Spoiler warning. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, we are going to be talking all about the plot and the twists of Summer of the Big Bocce by Naomi Hirahara. Like we mentioned, it is a detective mystery book. So if you don't want the whole thing spoiled for you, um, you should go read the book first. Seriously, this time. For all of you who actually read books after we talk about them, you should probably read the book first so you don't spoil yourself of Uh, uh, the the joy of reading a detective novel (laughs) yeah like this is one of those books where you you should jump into it as cold as possible yeah right much like the movie parasite which we can't oh my god we cannot talk about that movie was so good my my mom talks exactly like uh the rich mom yeah, yeah. What was her? The Kims, right? Yeah. So, um, no, the, the Kims were the family infiltrating the okay, parks. Okay. The parks. The parks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That she talks exactly like <laughs> Mrs. Parks, and it is. It was just so funny to me, and like as someone who like grew up around a lot of tutors, mm. it was like very reminiscent of like <laughs> my parents being like, "We have to find the best like specialist or whatever," and mm. it was just like it was so funny. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, yeah, we're here to talk about Summer of the Big Bocce. Um, support our Patreon for. We keep <laughs> we keep saying that. Like, when is that going to happen? I don't I know. know. Hopefully, at the end of this year, we'll figure something out. Yeah, because yeah, we we tend to like have a lot of overlapping interests, like video games and movies. So that is something that we should consider for. Uh, special episodes i guess i'm just glad to have more people to talk about parasite with um if our listeners want to talk about parasite let's just start a thread on our <laughs> on forums, our, on our forums. <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, okay so let's, let's get started. Uh, we're gonna get uh get right into the summary in the foothills of pasadena moss arai is just another japanese american gardener his lawnmower blades clean and sharp his truck carefully tuned but while moss keeps lawns neatly trimmed his own life has gone to seed His wife is dead, and his livelihood is falling into the hands of the men he once hired by the day. For Moss, a life of sin is catching up to him, and now Bachi, the spirit of retribution, is knocking on his door. It begins when a stranger comes around asking questions about a nurseryman who once lived in Hiroshima, a man known as Joji Haneda. But by the end of summer, Joji will be dead, and Moss's own life will be in danger. For a while, Moss was building a life on the edge of the American dream. He has kept powerful secrets about three friends long ago, about two lives intertwined, and about what really happened when the bomb fell on Hiroshima in August 1945. Yeah. So right off the bat, um, this is our third detective novel for this book club and also our third detective novel about a detective that's not really, really a, a detective, detective. He's more so it's not really right to say uh it's a detective novel more right. like uh, where the investigator investigator is not a cop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like noir 
subculture. I like I honestly yeah. don't have like a correct genre description yeah. for books like these. <laughs> um but it is really really nice that this book is so local. Yeah. And as people who live in in the same town and the same area as as this book is set in, it it like, was really interesting to because this the story was is set in the late nineties, right? Yeah, and yeah, during that time, I was growing up in the city of San Gabriel in the San Gabriel Valley, just like literally maybe ten miles south of where Moss lives in the story. Yeah, and yeah. and the town and the area has changed a lot. Yeah, yeah, because in the book, you you read about like I don't know, was it like. South Pass or Altadena, like yeah. he was just saying, like, oh, it's like the not so great parts of this area, and I'm <laughs> like, oh wow, it's gentrified so much, and uh, yeah, like what used to have a lot of like small ethnic communities, I feel like <laughs> they've kind of been pushed out as you know as the usual with gentrification. So it it yeah. was interesting to see like like how that has changed <laughs> yeah and definitely there was and there still are a lot of japanese nurseries in the area and in la in general but a lot of them have been either replaced or downgraded downgraded yeah like, i actually did not know that uh like pasadena used to have like a really big japanese american like community mm -hmm. because you know like like when i moved there yeah. I was just like, oh, this is the town where like the young hip people are, like yeah. the young Caltech students are. Um, and I wouldn't even say Pasadena in general because Moss lived in Altadena, which is kind of like the. It's a little bit north of Pasadena. Yeah, it's the suburb, the suburbs of the suburb of Pasadena. And Pasadena was where his clients were, which made sense. Yeah, which right? made sense. There, there are parts in Pasadena where like. Like, Those lawns are huge. You you see <laughs> you see like apartment buildings, and then if you go a little bit like like a little bit south, yeah, like there's these there are these huge country homes with ginormous lawns, and they're always green, no matter like no matter like the drought <laughs> situation in California, which is like a really big deal. It's a very affluent suburb in Southern California. Yeah, yeah. But um, how did you feel about like? Moss being like this old cranky gardener. I liked it. I think in this current time of like YA themed stories taking over popular culture, it's kind of cool to see a story centered on like a non young, beautiful person. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Because even like detective shows, investigative shows, like yeah. they have like young, sexy people and yeah, <laughs> and, or, or like, you know, like middle age, like, you know, hard boiled, hard boiled like... detectives. And it's, it's nice to see someone who's not a detective. Yeah. To see someone who is kind of like really reluctant to, to like investigate. Yeah. Like, Moss is a very interesting character because he's American-born. Like, he's a Kibe, right? Which mm -hmm. is a term that they they use, which is American-born Japanese. But he's also not fully... He's not fully Japanese. He's not fully American in terms of culture because he lived in both, right? And, I mean, that that is illustrated through his language. Like, the way that Naomi Hirohara writes how Moss talks to people. Yeah, the dialect and stuff. Actually, yeah. uh, before this discussion, I went on her website and... um. There's like a page where she talks about like 
uh, her Masurai series because this is a series. There's like six books on. I think there's nine. Nine. Yeah. Okay. Well, nine <laughs> books on on uh, Masurai as like the main character. It's Marvin. A little correction here. Uh, Naomi Hirohara actually has written seven Masurai books, um, not nine. Sorry about that. And uh, Naomi, she writes that Moss is actually inspired by her father, yeah. who is a Japanese-American gardener who talks like Ma- Moss and who was also a Hiroshima survivor. So a mm. lot of those characteristics are in Moss, uh, Moss as the protagonist. Right. But of, of course, as like novel writing goes, like things are going to deviate. And I heard that like Naomi's father is actually like, a very happy, like, <laughs> like a happy jokester. And that doesn't really work with the story. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that Moss was like a cranky gardener because um, I really, I really like the Miss Marple series by Agatha Christie. <laughs> and that is also like a series where it's like an old woman who like is very nosy and just kind of gets like dragged into investigations. <laughs> She's a little bit more proactive than Moss, but I, I'm really down for like old old people just like taking advantage of their age to like get into uh like <laughs> crime investigation scenes and you know you know what i'm talking about yeah, right? yeah 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 the type of person that no one would really notice because he's a gardener he has yeah. a ford with tools um yeah i really enjoyed that he wasn't your typical pi investigator but he is a really good investigator he's super observative he notices like things that other people miss like details i guess because he's been a gardener for so long and he's able to use that expertise to help him with his investigations Um, i think i think actually his skills as a gambler helped him more with investigation because like he knows when people are bluffing Mm. or like he like when he comes up with plans to get more information like he doesn't know if it's going to work out he's (laughs) like okay well like this is a gamble and these are my like these are my odds and um yeah like i really like that aspect as well of about like uh gambling addictions because i heard that that was like a common thing amongst like older asian american gens yeah yeah and i wonder i mean it's it's a, it's an issue amongst asian people in general, I don't know as a sample if it's any more or less than any other population, but definitely it's like one of the few problems that families talk about in Asian families is if you have someone who's addicted to gambling. Yeah. I mean, some part of it, I guess, is the characters in the book, at least most of them, are working class to yeah. like lower middle class people whose you know, upward mobility has been, you know, um, hampered either by society, by fate, or, you know, by by their own gambling addiction. And a running theme throughout the book is kind of the American dream, right? And how the pursuit of it leads people to do certain things. So uh, there's a lot of characters in this book. There's a ton of, we we were (laughs) going through all the characters before we started recording. And yeah, there's, there's a ton, (laughs) um, but I do want to talk about the, I guess like the presentation of this book, because it is a mystery novel, but the mystery doesn't kick in until like, like uh yeah well not the mystery part but i guess like the murder part doesn't happen until like the crime the crime doesn't happen until like the middle of the book and um i guess like the first act a lot there are like hints of like okay what is going on like there are people looking for people who are from the past and you know you're trying to piece together 
Moss's uh, relationship with these characters that uh, that like the antagonists are looking for. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like reflecting on it now, this story takes place like a week before a traditional detective story would take place, right? Which is the crime, the, a week before the crime. Mm-hmm. Because um, even before the crime happens, which is basically the murder of a, a woman, there are people poking around Moss's past and bringing up people that he hasn't thought about in years. And that starts unraveling until it leads to a crime happening. Yeah. Actually, let me, I'm going to look at the front page. So in a traditional noir novel or even just like a like a, a, a crime show, it yeah. o- the cold open is always like the crime or Your law and order like dun 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 <laughs> um but like if if summer of big bocce was formatted that way the first chapter the cold open would have been the bombing of hiroshima mm. and like like um seeing seeing the bodies and seeing like the shock factor and then it would cut to Moss being older and right. in a different country. And sorry, I went to school for screenwriting. So so like for me, it's like, okay, like that's the traditional way to tell the story. But um, I, I kind of like put into consideration of like when this book was published. This book was published in 2004. And uh, the setting is, you know, 1999. And I'm thinking about like how many like writers crime writers of color like in, in like just like the literary world and there there weren't that many even even for like the 2000s so i wonder if naomi she knew that and she kind of like hatched a plan beforehand and was like okay well you know i need to woo the readers to make moss like i don't know like a- attractive to the readers like make them be invested in him as a mm. character and then bring on the mystery and kind of reel them in. I don't know if that was her initial strategy, but that's kind of what I thought when I was reading the book. I mean, they do plant the seeds of the mystery because the prologue is the death of Joji Haneda, quote unquote, and the setting up of like the big bocce, right? Yeah. So the reader already gets a sense that like there is a mystery here. Because like yeah. the the opening scene, or I got I guess like the first two chapters, it's about Moss going to this gardener's meeting, like an annual. I, I don't know if it's annual, but it's like a gardener's meeting where mm-hmm. they like talk about collecting money for their funds, right? And like whatnot. the the credit union, yeah, much, the credit yeah. union, and uh, you meet Nakane, who is the main big bad of, of this yeah. book. And he's look and he's asking questions about Joji Haneda. And right. that's your first clue as to like, okay, Moss has a secret past. If you did not read the jacket summary like I did, <laughs> I I tend to do do this way more often than than I should. I should really, you know, read the jacket description before reading. Things, I mean, you don't but... have. To. I don't think. I don't think it's a must since you're already reading the book. Yeah, like we're already reading it. We don't need to be sold, right? That's true. That's <laughs> true. Um, but I I should read it just for like content warnings because that has happened in, in past <laughs> book club picks where i'm like oh right if i had read the jacket description i would know that like this kind of thing would happen but, yeah but anyway like that that is your first hint that 
something is going on. And yeah. I, I guess like the larger mystery aspects don't show up until like maybe the second act. And the yeah. first act is mostly dedicated to um, like Moss's family and how like how he is a survivor. Like he survived Hiroshima and he outlived his his wife. Yeah. And um, how his daughter, uh, Mari, like how he has become estranged from her and uh, just like his relationship with other Hiroshima survivors yeah. and how each of them cope differently. So a lot of it is like sketching out the characters before you get into uh, the mystery aspect. And that's really crucial because a lot of the mystery has to do with like um, has to do with like Joji and R Ricky's like false identity and their relationship. So how are you going to like set up a mystery if you don't know yeah. who these people are? And also how it connects to like his survivor's guilt and everyone's survivor's guilt. And the first act of the book sets him up as someone who just, who, he just wants to live his life and move on. He doesn't want to get involved with anybody. He's like, you're, what's the generation above the boomers or would he be a boomer? He would be a boomer. Yeah. Yeah. But not really because he's not like in that culture. But yeah, all that sets up his character as someone who he just wants to like take it day by day, do what he's used to. Like he doesn't like change doesn't like to be inconvenienced. He doesn't want to inconvenience other people. He just wants to go through his life and like, you know. I liked how there were um different types of Japanese Americans and yeah. and and Japanese folks. <laughs> like um like with Moss we were saying earlier he's an American born Japanese who was born in uh California, but he left and moved to Hiroshima and was raised there for most of his life. Um and uh, he grew up during the war when Japan uh, and America were uh, were enemies. Yeah. And you also have uh, Joji Haneda, who is um, American-born Japanese as well, but he grew up in America much longer yeah. and moved to Hiroshima. The, re the real Joji Haneda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the real one, not not Ricky Kimura. Um, but, and then you have uh, Wishbone Tanaka, who is the head of the Gardner Credit uh Union Tanaka's gardener shop. Yeah, Tanaka's yeah. gardener shop, and he was a no-no boy. Yeah, and you also have Tug, who actually served in the American Four Forty Second. Yeah, I really liked how there was this parallel on both the Higabusha, which are the atomic bomb survivors, and the survivors of the Japanese incarceration internment yeah. camps, right? And how no one got out of that time period unscathed by war, either through surviving a atomic bombing or surviving like the literal incarceration taking away of your rights. And how even within both these groups, there are different factions or different viewpoints and different, um, just different groups, right? Like, I think, I think a lot of, there were like a lot of definitions of like patriotism. Mm -hmm. It's like, what does it mean to be an American? Like, it, does that mean like serving, uh, for the like serving in the military and like uh, pretty much fighting against like your uh like your yeah. parents brotherhood or whatever i can't I'm i think it's more so neil hirohara doesn't really dwell on this she kind of gives a brief overview of the tension between nono boys and the the gopher book for a second mm -hmm. the people who served right but the general tension is i don't think it's fighting against your parents homeland it's do you prove your patriotism or do you prove your americanness by Serving for the military and fighting for their cause, or do you prove your Americanness by like resisting the unlawful like removal of 
your rights and your property and your family. Mm-hmm. And I don't think defining the motherland is really the 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 crux, uh, the crux those, there. Yeah. It's the why should I serve you when you don't even see me as a person? Yeah, and then you ha- see the reverse of that because, like, um, you know, Joji and Moss, they are American citizens, and you have Ricky, who is, you know, full blooded Japanese, yeah. uh, born and raised, and he's like, oh, you guys are like traitors, and uh, <laughs> you guys are from you. You guys are pretty much like enemies to us, and that's not just Ricky. That's like. Pretty much everyone in Hiroshima and uh, how, like, uh, Joji and his sister Akemi, they had to, like, burn, like, American right. goods in their homes to not, like, to I mean, prove themselves to be loyal to Japan. The tension on that side is, is similar because you have Moss, who was 15 but couldn't enlist in the Japanese Navy because of his American status yeah. and because he wasn't a dual citizen. Because he wasn't registered right. in the Japanese registry. And he wanted to serve to prove his Japaneseness, whereas Joji is someone who, like, the real Joji, is someone who no, spent a lot, of his, a lot of his childhood in America, spoke Japanese with, like, an American accent, right? Mm-hmm. And was much more, like, American in his, his cultural identity. Right? Also, he believed that America was going to win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Ricky was portrayed as like a bully. He's kind of like um, you think of your like your Japanese delinquent, right? Yeah. Um, but from from what I remember, he also coveted the fact that both Moss and Joji had papers and could leave to go to America. And it was something that like Ricky also saw the fact that they were American as something that he wanted. Yeah, I mean, right? like America has always been a symbol of opportunity, right? And with uh, Rick, Ricky, like, it seemed like all of them were in the countryside. Um, this is before Hiroshima has modernized and, mm-hmm. you know, has be- like got their, you know, boom in their economy. So like for Ricky, it's just like, I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. Like I have to like the way the only path for me is to like work in the farmlands and like I'm not going to make any money off of that. Yeah. And um, and then, like, once the bomb drops, like, the only way he can make money, because now he's an orphan, he has to, like, deal in the black market. I mean, he turns out to be really good at it, but that is, like, his only way to make a living. Yeah. So, like, to him, um, like, an American citizenship, like, having papers is, um, I guess, like, it, it is a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he was already a grifter before even before the bomb dropped i guess right? so yeah i mean like he was like you said he was like a a japanese delinquent yeah like the the kind you see in movies and and stuff um but shall we shall we move into the actual mystery part because we <laughs> we have talked about half of the characters so yeah far. i mean i feel like if i was to write this screenplay the opening scene would be yuki coming across the crime scene right and getting arrested I guess yeah, that that would work too. <laughs> in like a traditional like law and order style like procedural or something, right? Yeah. Like that's because that's the crime. So a third through the book, um, th- this woman Junko, who is the mistress of Ricky, Ricky who is posing as Joji, Haneda gets um gets attacked, and Yuki Kimura, I guess the young reporter investigating Joji Haneda, um, is pretty much arrested for the attack, 
right? Because he's on the scene, he has blood on his hands. Um, and this spurs Moss reluctantly into action because, and you get kind of get the feeling throughout the entire book that he is just so inconvenienced by everything that's happening. Yeah. Like he's just annoyed at everything that's happening to him. But he gets brought in because, um, A, to unravel like this mystery that has something to do with him so personally, and B, because he kind of sent the boy to the crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. So bocce right there. <laughs> I mean, should we talk about the concept of bocce in general? Because I feel like that's yeah, uh, yeah, that is like central a- to this story. It's also part of the like uh, yeah, literally the title. Um, right? from the jacket description that I read earlier, like it describes bocce to be the spirit of retribution, and it's also tied in with kokoro, which is uh, I guess like your your uh, your inside, your like your inside, your, your like moral state of being like I, yeah. don't, I don't know how to like translate it because i'm not japanese so i i mean i think the closest analog is your conscience and your, your, conscience, your, your soul pretty your much soul. right yeah and naomi here does delineate the difference between like bachi and karma which is like this is what goes around comes around but in this life it's not something you pay for in your next life as in the buddhist notion of karma it's something that like you will pay for in this lifetime because of something you did yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that um, the titular Big Bocce doesn't become apparent until like two thirds, almost to the end of the book. Right. Which is closely related to the fate of the original Joji Haneda and what happened on the day of the Hiro- Hiroshima bombing. Yeah. Right? Um. Actually, like I was really confused while I was reading the book. I was like, OK, there's like 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 the title is big bocce so Mm -hmm. i'm just like okay like what is the big bocce (laughs) like we we come across like small ones right like like, uh moss gambling when his wife suddenly gets ill from like miscarriage which Mm is uh towards like the beginning of the book and him um being like like him not participating in mari's school project which is something that i'll go back to (laughs) And uh, him not revealing Ricky's, like, true identity, uh, like, him being an imposter. Him losing his Ford. Him losing his Ford. And then, him like... Him sending Yuki to get arrested. Him yeah. stealing money from Ricky in order to uh, pay for his passage to America. Right. Which results so, in him losing his his dream nursery. So, like, while yeah. I was reading this book, I was like, is the big bocce just, like a series of bocce <laughs> that just kind of, like, culminate, like, like accumulated and... But then you you kind of get to the end and you find out that, like, um, I guess, like, the original bocce that kind of sets everything else in motion is that after the bomb uh, hit Hiroshima, um, Moss finds an injured, I guess, to be more exact, like, a dying Joji. Right. And he promises Joji that he will find his sister to make sure that she's okay. And he runs off, but he blacks out. And it's not until, like, he doesn't wake up until much, much later. And it's already, like, too late for him to find uh, to find Akemi. And uh, he kind of assumes that Akemi is dead. So, yeah. like, that is, the, that is the big bocce. That but, is the ultimate bocce. Yeah, that, the fact that he abandoned his friend. Yeah. Right. Um, and, I mean... The past that gets unraveled is the fact that him 
Ricky Kimura and Joe Tineda were all like really close friends in high school. And and that they um they worked together at the train station, right? And that was mm-hmm. where they were when the bomb fell. And I remember there was a line in one of the chapters, I think it was when he started when Yuki Kimura, the reporter, comes and like reveals his identity to him, he's already um off center because of um Ricky slash Joji coming back into his life through this um kind of sleazy Japanese man Shuji Nakane looking for him. And he says, Is this just one final big bachi from Joji Haneda? And at that point in the book, you don't know that Ricky is the true identity of Joji. Um and I thought that was really that was really clever. Yeah, that, that, that was that. really clever. I actually uh figured it out pretty early on that Joji mm. Haneda was not really mm. Joji because you don't have someone like come in ask for asking about someone who is still alive, but like they're investigating a crime. I'm just like, okay, like stolen <laughs> identity. I mean, it's like an immigrant story. Like it was like like with Paper Sons, it was much much easier to like to well, create an identity to go into America. So I just kind of assumed that that was <laughs> that was the twist and I'm not belittling that because you know, if if it's a twist that I can predict, that means that it was well structured enough, well set up enough yeah. for, for well, it to land. <laughs> I mean, if you want to dig into the conspiracy that sets up the crime, which sets up the mystery, right? Um it all comes back to as these types of stories go, it comes down to money, right? It all goes back to someone's going to make a lot of money off of this thing and they need to find this other thing to make that happen. And when that doesn't work out, they kill someone. So like the underlying, I guess, MacGuffin is the land that the Haneda family owns in Hiroshima is basically still under the family name. It's under um, Akemi's name. Akemi is the sister of Joji Haneda, the original Joji Haneda, um, who was Mats Arai's neighbor. Mm-hmm. in hiroshima um because uh like in in japan like joji is listed as among the, the dead. dead yeah so like when the like who do you like what would you call nakane like he's like the enforcer land enforcer yeah land, he's like land shark i don't know like, <laughs> <laughs> much like how you know like organized crime people have enforcers to do their dirty work for them um rich developers also have probably people yeah, do their yeah. dirty work for them, right? Like like um, contractors or yeah, investigators, so, right? And so this land is worth a lot of money because there's a developer that wants to pretty much buy it and build something bigger, yeah, right? Like a big development. And and this is after the war, obviously. And yeah. this is when Japan is like really speeding up industrialization. Yeah. Yeah. And so lo and behold, they're negotiating with Akemi and also her grandson, Yuki, who is, um, I mean, you find out that he initially made a deal and he backed out. And that's when they start putting the pressure on, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, fake Joji Haneda slash Ricky Kimura does a TV special about his nursery. And everyone starts putting two and two together. Was it was it about his nursery? I thought it was about like him being a Hiroshima survivor. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like something he would do. That's why. <laughs> That's why I'm like, oh, it's probably. That's probably what it was. 
And so that leads both the investigators, Shuji Nakane and um, Yuki. Yuki, to go to the States to find out yeah. if this guy is furry or not. Yeah. And so... Um, <laughs> I actually really liked... Because um, when Yuki meets Moss at the hospital... Um, he shows him like a drawing that uh, a witness did of Joji's dead body, mm-hmm. and like, and, and that's your first hint of like, oh, Ricky is not Joji because Joji is found dead in in Japan. Yeah, and well, no, you don't know that it's Joji yet. Oh, yeah, they think it's yeah. the body of Ricky Kimura because he was found with the Ricky Kimura's name tag. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. Um, but I really liked that setup though, because in at the end of the book, you find out that the clue was there the entire time because yeah. um because of the because of the name tag and because like they listed their blood type, yeah, like you find out that like um the circle that uh the real joji Haneda had drawn on the ground that was like. Uh, his clue. That was his clue. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really well uh, well put together. Yeah. Yeah. Again, something that only Masarai would notice and and figure out. Yeah. Right. And that, that pretty much unravels, like, everything from, like, um, like it foils Nakane's plan. Because yeah. now, like, now the land can't go to um, Kimura's, like, children like the children that he had yeah in america posing as uh joji haneda like they aren't they aren't the legitimate heirs to this piece of land yeah um and like this isn't your traditional detective story where it starts with the crime and ends with it solving it right Mm -hmm. like that's part of the story but the story moves on because like you mentioned before this book is also a character study of survivors of the atomic bomb Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And for Moss Arai, like his reason for solving the mystery is A, to make up for the bocce for getting Yuki in trouble in the first place, but also to make up for the big bocce, which is to fulfill his, you know, his, I guess, moral a- obligation yeah, to atonement. his dead friend. Yeah. 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 Um, because through, because through this whole ordeal, he gets reconnected to people that he knew memories that he had suppressed and also people that he thought were long dead, right? Yuki Kimura is the grandson of Akemi Haneda, who is Joji's sister, um, who even shows up in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's literally being visited by someone who he thinks is dead and um, someone he was supposed to take care of after, after the bombing. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really clever because, uh, she uses the last name Kimura. Mm-hmm. So he's like, whoa, like, so Yuki is the, <laughs> it, Yuki is the grandson of Ricky Kimura and they don't know that they're related, but it turns out that they're not related that at all. That was a great misdirection. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it, it got me. I thought, yeah, I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it got me too. And I liked how Moss was just like, there's no way that she would have slept with Ricky <laughs> yeah. Kimura. And I'm just like, you don't know. Like, <laughs> like something could have happened, but like he was, he ended up being right. Like she yeah. never slept with him. She just um, r- Rose Dawson did, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but throwing I, out that 90s Titanic reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Bocce kind of comes up with other characters as well. Like uh, Rumi, who was the escort slash hostess, she lies to the police saying that she witnessed Yuki being the killer mm-hmm. um, in, in Junko's apartment when it turns out like she she actually saw the real killers, which were like... Uh, I don't, like they they said it was some white dude who was hired by it's like gonna, yeah i don't know I, for, I forget his name hawthorne daniel hawthorne something hawthorne so, i don't know random white guy who's just a henchman which yep. is great great casting in and, this book yeah yeah um but yeah she is attempting to run away because she's just like i don't want to be deported to japan mm-hmm. like whatever and uh after being almost killed in like a car accident she's like oh no like it's the bocce. It's the bocce. <laughs> like you, you said that my my soul won't be like the same. So I went back to like make the atonement, and uh, it was nice to see uh, Rumi actually go back and like set things straight because yeah. you see Moss and you see how the bocce has affected him over the course of fifty years. So you see someone who is able to make things right right away um and then like with you you see like the bocce with like uh wishbone tanaka (laughs) because you know he didn't get the money (laughs) yeah um that reveal was kind of was i didn't expect that like that he set up everything that he set up the meeting between nakane and uh yeah that he was involved in the yeah in, in the in the crime I, I do want to talk about uh, Mari, Masa's daughter, because she yeah. shows up a lot in this book for some character who is not in the actually book at all. <laughs> there. <laughs> I, I do hear, I, I heard that she kind of makes an appearance in the third book. I'm not, third the second or, book, the third second or second book. book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they set it up because at the end of the book, um, Akemi leaves a note that Mari has been calling uh, Mas. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves a message saying, his dad call me. And I think that's the um, inciting event for the second book oh, to jump okay. off of. From. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what I liked about this book, uh, I said this earlier that it kind of like paints, uh, I guess like a portrait of, of like the Japanese American community. The diversity of the it. The right? diversity yeah. of it. And uh, you see Mari and you see Joy who are Nisei, uh, second generation Japanese American. And right. um, I really liked. Well, Mari is a Nisei. Um, Joy is Joy like, is a sansei. Sansei. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um but like I really I really like the contrast because you see Moss who wants to forget about uh the atomic bomb and you have Mari who wants to know more about it. She's writing she's doing a school project on it. And um I I I thought that was a really powerful scene because like she she just wants an A in her class and she thinks <laughs> it's like really important and uh that you know that that part of history should not be forgotten but for moss is like i want to forget it yeah and why does the younger generation want to like like keep <laughs> painful memories alive it's better to be uh left alone and uh you and then instead of because moss is unable to talk about his own experience um mari, yeah, yeah mari has to interview haruo and haruo actually has like physical damage on his face like he doesn't have like his right eye um and he has like a scar on like his head and uh he's the one who has to tell mari about that day yeah 
And uh, I really liked Haru. He was just like, he's just the, happy he, to be there. Just, he's <laughs> the reason why like Moss had to like get involved in so many things. Because it's, <laughs> it's just like, oh, like my friend with his gambling addiction, he's sick. I have to like take care of him. And right. It's like a good incentive for him to like get into trouble. But he's also like not in his head about everything. Yeah. You know, like he, um, it feels like he's already let go of the survivor's guilt in some ways. He's just, you know, like he, rep- again, representing another side of the, the Higabusha, like the side that, you know, is moving on without like the burdens. Yeah. Like he has the physical burden of being a survivor, not as much of the mental ones. Yeah, the psychological right? one. Yeah. I, actually, I forgot which character said it, but uh, they told Moss, like, you're lucky that, you know, you don't have any damage on yeah. you. And, you know, we we see in that scene with Moss and Mari that actually, <laughs> like, there there's a lot of damage uh, to him psychologically. And uh, I really like the, like, animosity between, like, Moss and Mari. Because, like, with uh, with Mari, I feel like she um, she kind of embodies a lot of, like, a- like second-generation Asian-American uh, experiences with, like, their parents, their yeah. immigrant parents of, like, why is your English so bad? Like, why can't you, like, you know, do things that are very simple? And then you also have Moss's wife, uh, Chizuko, who is, like, you know her english is much better she's able to grasp the language better and able to do like tax forms and <laughs> like very independent right yeah. so so i i really like that because that is like a guilt that a lot of immigrant parents have and there was an npr interview with naomi Hirahara where she says basically uh mari's grievances with her father were the same grievances that she had with her own father like when she grew up she didn't understand why her father was always out working wasn't good with english and like also like jealousy of like okay why like why are we so poor yeah yeah why can't you get a better job and it's like it's not (laughs) that easy and when you're a kid you can't really understand yeah can't really understand that and i and i liked um getting moss's perspective as well because he's like why are you going to columbia like you should stay in like california ucla usc to be fair he was also a fan of ucla basketball (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah true but like i i figured like i i think a lot of immigrant parents like they do want their kid to you know never kind of leave their nest because it's just because your immigrant parent is like relying on you so much for for a lot of like logistic logistical things and when mari does go and like kind of becomes independent like what leads to the estrangement is also the fact that she marries a um because he's a white dude right yeah he's a white dude who is a gardener yeah and then it kind of ruins uh her parents like expectations of her yeah. like having i guess like a white collar family and not having to go through the same things that they went through yeah which is a com- like i feel like it's i don't know how common it is but i i hear a lot of narratives in the real life where you have for example children of restaurant families going to the restaurant business despite their parents like saying we worked a restaurant so you didn't have to yeah. Right. Yeah. I think also with like uh going back to like like immigrant parents not wanting their children to leave the nest. Yeah. Um, I think it's also because you 
you often don't have other family in America. So like your children are like your only ties to family in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. So like having your child go far away <laughs> is like uh it, it it's you know you're it it's hard. It's a lot of pain and I and I really like that you you see that uh from like a parent's perspective because I feel like I tend to relate a lot more to the child, right? <laughs> and we usually see that in in books, but it's very sometimes you don't really get the parent's perspective and and um I really like that you you see joy like yeah, the contrast just to that with Tug and Tug and his wife will and their daughter who it just goes to show it's it's like not all parents are the same, but parents are the same. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I thought it was really funny how like Joy, like she was almost getting her PhD in physics and then she goes to medical school. And then now that she's like pretty much done with her residency, she's like, I don't think this is like I don't think this is for me. I'm going to follow my true passion, which is painting. And like her parents being like, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> <laughs> why, why did we send you to PCC to take yeah. those classes? Um, I think, I, I think that is like really, really funny because uh, a lot of like Asian parents, like when you're, when you're younger, they like take you to all of these like art classes being like, you need to be able to paint. You need to be <laughs> able to play an instrument. You have to play a sport. This is all for college. So you can be an accountant or a doctor. <laughs> and then they get mad that their child ends up like being like, oh, I want to actually do music. And it's like, how dare you? And it's like, well, they've been playing yeah. violin since they were five so like actually it's your fault for <laughs> for sending your kids to all of these programs i want to say i love the um the another story an, another name for this book could also be the corruption of tug oh yeah because <laughs> <laughs> he starts out as like this like straight laced christian veteran who's like very like he's like he's literally your typical like boomer dad Right. Yeah, I mean, he was a freaking health inspector, which yeah. is like a government job. So yeah, and then, and then slowly, Moss like takes him to a gambling den, gets him beaten up. It was really amusing to see like this kind of straight laced all American dude get put in these situations. Yeah, and you you find out that he has his own bocce because you know he took a bribe once and. And because of his like honest nature, he like turned himself in. And since then, he's been under his boss's thumb for like his whole entire career. Yeah. Right now, it's his bocce. A, a small detail about Mari: uh, she, you know, she marries a white dude, but uh, it turns out it was like a shotgun wedding, and <laughs> Ma Moss wasn't Moss wasn't invited. He didn't even know that she was engaged. Yeah. And like Lil Tongue's wife, uh, you know tells him all about it well tug um spills the beans oh i guess yeah yeah and then lil's like i guess we should tell you now i guess we should tell you your daughter's pregnant yeah and she's married and i guess that brings us to another through line of the book it, it connected to bocce i guess is like the bocce of the the atomic bomb and it's just like the legacy of like the reason why like even descendants of people who experienced the bombing also refer to themselves as as survivors is because we still don't know how it plays out. Yeah, right. Yeah, because uh, the 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 survivors of of the bomb, like the first survivors, uh, you know, like health effects, a lot yeah. of miscarriages, a lot of uh, uh, 
a lot of like yeah. deformed babies and, and who not, didn't live. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but like Akemi's son, Yuki's father, Hikari, was perfectly healthy as a baby, but then he developed lung cancer despite never having smoked in yeah. his life. Right. And then um, Yuki himself says he goes in every year for a checkup too um, because he has an abnormally high white blood cell count. And so I think that's also part of what is playing in Masa's mind when he finds out about his daughter's um, pregnancy is like, what did I pass on as well? Right. Yeah. So you find out towards the end of the book that uh, uh, Nakane and like his boss, I guess, the reason why they want the land so badly is because there there were some shady things going on. (laughs) Um, And it's like, at first I thought it was like, I thought because Japan was, uh, you know, they were having their boom and they were building all these like apartment complexes and shopping malls. I thought it was just like a strictly like transaction of like, okay, we're going to build something and we're going to make a lot of money off of it. But it turns out that there is some bad history to it. And Mm. I was actually really surprised that uh, Naomi went went there as someone who is Japanese American. So (laughs) uh, because like you find out that that land was like a shanty town for a lot of Koreans. Yeah. Korean, um, um, Zainichi, which we learn in, uh, in Pachinko. In, in Pachinko. <laughs> everything, everything connects, you know, yeah. you, you learn from each book and it helps you, uh, with future knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you find out that there was like kind of like a, a like a giant ditch of some sorts that may, have bodies of the Koreans who were imprisoned and uh, the quote-unquote comfort women, the the sex slaves who yeah. were forced to um, endure terrible things during the war. So you you see that little bit of history, and I and I heard that Naomi actually revisits it in in like a future book mm. in the Masarai series, and I was actually surprised that like com- like comfort woman was even mentioned because it is something that. Um, Japan has denied for for a number of years now. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm not sure if because like 2004, like there was I don't know if it was a prime minister, like Japan's prime minister at the time, or a, a different like high uh, high official in their government, but they did apologize for uh, the damage that they did to the Koreans and also acknowledged uh, comfort women. And then that was like, that apology was taken back after election of a different official. Yeah. Um, And so I'm like wondering if that had happened around like the early 2000s and that was, uh, that was accounted for in in the book. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I was surprised. It's not really something that, um, I mean, definitely the Japanese authors do not write that in their books. But Japanese Americans, they kind of have like a weird freedom. (laughs) Like, like, I don't think this book would have would have flown in in Japan, you know, like with censorship. Probably. I feel like that is I mean, one of the hallmarks of Los Angeles based detective fiction is it's all about like follow the money, follow the corruption. It's all about land rights and and infrastructure and governments. And the growth of like urban development. Um, so in a way, it is kind of like a noir. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I, I really do want to read the other books yeah. to see like how um because because the very last book in the series, Hiroshima Boy, came out last year. 
and uh, Moss actually goes back to Japan for yeah. the first time in like over what fifty five years, sixty yeah. years. I don't know how much time passes it's it's in the jacket description but so you know he goes back because haruo passes away and that's his last dying wish pouring up haruo our good boy uh. <laughs> um i'm really interested in and the book was such like it was such a breezy read like yeah like it's yeah. one of those books where you can probably finish one every weekend if you wanted to yeah um for the listeners out there who are not very good with reading flashbacks in between, like, I can see that grading some people. It mm. depends on your preference. For me, like, it, it was fine. Because yeah. I feel like with each flashback, you learn something new about a character. And it really helped with uh, kind of, like, giving you clues as to where the mystery was going. It was definitely well constructed. It, it was yeah. very, very well constructed. <laughs> and... As an Angelino, like it was really great to see the Los Angeles that I know be portrayed because I, you know, we we record in Little Tokyo. We're in First Street North, which is the same block as the Chop Sui restaurant that they keep talking about, um, the I, Far East Cafe, which is now Far Bar. Yeah, Far Bar, and also like the Empress Hotel. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not called that anymore, but, but it still exists. It's still upstairs. It's still upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. This block in Little uh, Tokyo, LA, is probably the only block that still has the same buildings that it had back in, like back, yeah, yeah, back, back pre before the war. Yeah, and uh, the city of Los Angeles wanted to, uh, you know, burn it down to the ground. <laughs> like it, they really wanted to, like bulldoze over Little Tokyo so they can uh, make more train stops or whatnot. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah. and I forgot how. Little Tokyo combated that. I think it was. They're still combating it right oh, now. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it. I thought it was kind of resolved with like the number of parking lots in this area, but it's 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 an ongoing thing. People yeah. should check out um, the Little Tokyo Service Center, um, SSA in Little Tokyo for for more information on what's going on. Um, basically, it, we're just they're still fighting um, the, the encroachment of you know developers and gentrification in this neighborhood. Um, this is the only part of downtown LA that I actually like. <laughs> um, uh, like another thing, be because it was like the last two books were uh, set in New York. And I was like, oh, man, like as someone who like lived in New York, went to school in New York, I, I get it. And then I read this book and it's like set in the town that I am currently living in. And, yeah. and it's just like, oh, I get it. And and it's, not only that, but it's also Asian American LA because it's it's the San Gabriel Valley, it's Little Tokyo, and it's Sawtell, which is yeah, like <laughs> and Sawtell, which is like in the opposite direction of, yeah. of LA, but somehow it it works. And all the all the highways and the traffic, yeah. it's it was ramen places in North Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it really like it's nice when you know the setting. Yeah. 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 And I thought it was really, really well done. So thank you, Naomi, for writing a really great book. Yeah. Great start to the <laughs> series. I, I am very curious. I'm actually seeing Naomi like a couple of days from wow. now. Because uh, since she uh, since she lives uh, near my neighborhood, like same bookstore. Mm. And she's really popular in Pasadena. Oh, yeah. Like super duper popular <laughs> and it's been nice because we've had like other asian american authors at uh, our local bookstore romans and she's pretty much gone to every single one like she supports a lot of up-and-coming asian american authors and um and she's 
super super nice and yeah yeah it's 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 really nice to see this uh see older a- asian american pioneers i guess in yeah. genres support other like up and coming authors and we, sh- we should definitely talk with her sometime because she's one of those authors who also didn't start writing until much later in in their careers mm-hmm. right yeah so it's um it just goes to show uh if you write what you know there's going to be an audience for it and and just something about having an old man who's just annoyed at everyone but gets drawn into a mystery that only he can solve yeah. is it's super fascinating. I, I love cranky characters. <laughs> I think it's because I'm also a cranky person who mm. hates inconveniences. <laughs> and it's like, like, I don't know, it's it's really relatable. And I I just love seeing older characters like taking the lead in, in stories. Yeah. Um. And with that, I guess that'll do it for our discussion of Summer of the Big Bocce by Naomi Hirohara, book one of the Moss Arai series of books. Um, definitely check it out. They're available in bookstores everywhere, online, um, on Kindle. I think both of us would recommend this book to anyone, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. Especially if you live in the L.A. area. <laughs> like, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I just noticed, I'm looking at the cover right now, there's... A pair of cards at the very bottom. <laughs> Hint as to gambling. Yeah. Um, Rira, what are we reading for November 2019? So our November 2019 book club pick is Steel Crow Saga by Paul Kruger. It is a very long book. So I suggest you, uh, if you want to finish it at by the end of November, early December, you, you should start now. Uh, that's advice to myself as I listen to this podcast because I always monitor our episodes. <laughs> um, but it has been described to me as Avatar The Last Airbender meets Pokemon. And I'm really into both of those, like both fandoms. So yeah. I'm really excited to read this book. I've heard great things about it. Yeah. Seasoned with. Filipino folklore, right? Yeah, season with uh, Filipino folklore. And this book is brand new. So I'm sorry for <laughs> for those who are looking, who is looking for paperback or some cheaper options. We do want to mix things up in this podcast. We yeah. do want to read newer t- uh, titles and older titles. From all accounts, from people who have read the book, it's, it's being received really, really well. So yeah, really, really well. Excited, excited to uh, crack it open and uh, excited to crack it open and get started. Um, but yeah. Does this mean that you have to watch Avatar The Last Airbender, Marvin? I, let's, let's, you already said this book is going to be long. I can that's only true, focus on so many yeah. things at once. Um, let me read this book and then think about watching <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, maybe I should just watch the movie to get the whole story. No. Right? Wait for the live action at the very least, I guess. Um, no. So yeah, and with that, uh, thank you for listening to Books and Boba's discussion of our October 2019 book club pick, Summer of the Big Baki by Naomi Hirahara. Um, I hope you all are having a great fall. Um, have a wonderful Thanksgiving season. And uh, yeah. We'll see you later this month. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. 
We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.